creativity, hustlers, fakers, and thieves. Creativity is not the province of just a chosen few. Those who fear they have nothing to say or that it's all been said before can also grab the fire. But our ideas about practice, quality, or failure shape our work. New artists, working artists, strugglers, those who have been at it all their lives grapple with these same concepts. This is the heart of our endeavor, finding the different and similar ways that artists work to be creative on creativity, hustlers, fakers, and thieves. I am Gary Rogowski, woodworker, teacher, author, and I am happy to introduce you to my cohort, my apprentice, student, philosopher, PhD in comparative literature. I have to help him with the big words sometimes, but that's okay. You know, I don't mind doing that. No, he's, uh, he's great. Ali Megdadi, he's a charm, a charmer. Welcome. Hello. Happy to be here. I'm excited to be the neophyte to this master and excited to uh, begin this journey as to uh, toward discovering what we can offer people through this relationship. Yeah. So if you're the neophyte, am I the fight? <laughs> what? <laughs> you're the prototype. No. Anyway, creativity, hustlers, fakers, and thieves is an idea that I had some time ago about the nature of creativity and talking with other artists about it, because we are not alone in this struggle to be creative. And I was hoping that through a series of interviews with other working artists, we could explore the concepts that inform their creativity. These are concepts like curiosity, practice, and failure that are used intuitively by artists every day. And these are the ideas and values that a creative person has for their work, not so much when they're starting out, but as they get some practice, as they become a working artist or a master. It's my belief that we are all capable of being creative. But how does someone encourage their own creativity? And how can we help you encourage your own creativity? How do we make things in an insane world and produce work that says quality? Ali, do you have any opening thoughts? I do. You know, basically, you know, in regards to what sort of the mission is here. Uh, so I, so it begs the question, so what am I here for? If you have the master and what do you need the neophyte? Well, I guess that's to consider the doubt to the real doubt and wonder as to why bother? Why bother when there are so many masters in the world, there are so many people doing great things. And there's also so many machines that do almost as great of those great things done by the masters. Why bother bothering with creativity? How do you not feel like an imposter and overcome that anxiety to build something, to cultivate something beautiful, something difficult, something that you believe is worth the attention and investment of other people? So with that, I hope that we can have some conversations that really, uh, really challenge the notion of why bother with bother. <laughs> I'm, I'm certain we're going to have some differences of opinion on our methods. You bring up machines and, and masters. It's been done, the why bother aspect of it. Let me tell you a quick story. Some years ago, I was in San Francisco and I had a free afternoon. 
my sweetie was busy at work and I had a free afternoon to walk around and I was walking around and went up a hill. <sighs> Fancy that in San Francisco up to Pacific Heights. And I was just sketching buildings, things that I found, found interesting. I was just out sketching and I stopped in front of this one Georgian building house on top of the, the hill. And I was sketching some details and this man came outside and he was talking to a gardener. And then he came over to me and he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm sketching details. He said, oh, you like architecture? I go, yeah, I do. So he invited me inside and he started to tell me that his wife was ill and she was in the hospital. And I was like, yeah, that's too bad. And I'm, you know, I will be patient and I will help him as I can. And he took me around his house, which was very unremarkable. And uh, some paintings that were okay. And some furniture, which was not great, but I was polite and said, oh, well, that's nice. And this is nice. And he took me into the dining room and had a big dining room set. And I, well, this is nice. And in the room, there was a small door. And I thought, oh, that's an odd spot for a door. And uh, he showed me his dining room furniture. And then he said, well, come through here. Okay. <laughs> Since there was no macabre music playing in the background, I said, why not? And he took me downstairs into this library that he had bought and imported from some chateau in France and stuck on the back of his house on Pacific Heights that looked out over the bay and the Golden Gate Bridge. And he's got this unbelievable library and the stairway down to it. And there's another pathway back to the, to the house. And I almost fell on my knees. It was like, what have I entered? What world am I in? And it's that, and that was just luck. But I think so many new artists, when they start doing this work, have that sense of discovery, like, well, it's just a small door. I'm just going to open this small door. And then they walk inside and they go, whoa, there's a lot here. There's a lot here to discover. And in the process of discovery, we run into these bumps, these speed bumps. Let me say this about the maturity of an artist. I'm going to say it's always true. I'm going to go out on a limb because we start out always wide-eyed and eager, and we have great hopes that we're going to produce a masterpiece very soon, maybe a week or two after you get started, right? <laughs> you have that, you know, I really know what I want. That sort of attitude comes along with the beginner, the neophyte. And then a few years goes go by, four or five years, and they start to feel, well, yeah, yeah, I, I got this stuff down. I'm actually pretty darn good. I've got a story about that too, and, and myself, because I went through that. And it's only after another few years that you realize, oh, I don't really know that much. There's much more to be learned. And because you gain that humility over time, you then are open to learning so much more. And that's the, that's the struggle we have in this culture because it's a quick and now culture. And, and what I'm talking about is a process that takes years, but that's, that's the joy of it. It's journey. It's not ending. It's journey. So we start as wide-eyed new newcomers and then we become journeymen and over time, if you stick with it, a master. I remember I had a, a, a talk once in front of a, a group of surgeons and because, and, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell 
idea of 10,000 hours to become a master is ludicrous. It's like three years of med school. It's ludicrous. And I asked the surgeons, I said, in three years, did you, were you a master? And they're all shaking their heads. No, no way. It takes time. But once you reach that mastery, the last phase, and at my time of life, it's to become a mentor and to share what you know. And that's what I hope to do in this, in this process. But let's talk about the title, Creativity. But then <laughs> I kind of added some pointy references, hustlers, fakers, and thieves. And I have to say that I consider myself all three. I am on a constant hustle, have been my whole life. I was a furniture maker, making custom furniture. And that, if you know anyone like that, they got to hustle. That's just, that's just it. And particularly in a society that's so used to throwing away everything, making handmade furniture, uh, even with machines, but making furniture that, that lasts is, is, it's a ludicrous notion. But I tell my students, woodworking is a terrible way to make a living. It's a great way to live. I think that's one of the answers to Ali's uh, comment about why bother. It's a hustle. This is a hustle. Podcasts, they're all a hustle. But so what? And I'm happy to, happy to do it, and it's fun to do it. This gets us to thinking about things that, you know, most artists don't talk about, don't have a chance to. Fakers. Who among us hasn't considered themselves a faker? Why did I just think of going out on a dance floor? <laughs> I can't dance. Yeah, sure you can. Fake it. <laughs> and that's what we do. That's what we do. Every artist who's put out work has, has wondered, is it good enough? You know, for years, I, I held back on my writings and I said, well, I don't have anything to say. I have as much right to write down my thoughts as anyone. And why not? And you do as well. And you have that same right to, to be creating things. Now, you may not feel up to it or up to other standards, but comparisons are odious. Try to avoid them. Which brings us to thieves. Thievery is rampant. I call design a reverent theft. And I think that's really it. We are not born with these ideas placed in our head at birth. Oh, some few geniuses, perhaps. But the rest of us have to do this work. And we are, our eyes are open. Our eyes are open to the world. We'll be asking each of our working artists how they feel about, uh, about this title and how they consider themselves. Ali, how do you consider yourself? Interesting that hearing you say these things about creativity and hustlers and fakers and thieves, because... You know, I wonder if this is all a big scam from the get-go, like you say, and the notion of creativity itself is this thing that we've come up with to make us feel better about perhaps that fact that there is no such thing as creativity. I live in a state of constant doubt and suspicion, right? I have no certainty about anything. I'm totally comfortable with that. I am super comfortable with, like, wonder, just constantly being in a state of, oh, who knows? I have, I have as much suspicion of the atheist as the fundamentalist. You know, how why are you so certain? Why are you so certain about anything? And so when you live like I do, and you're constantly unsure, as some people might say, well, what a state of anxiety that must be in because you have uh, no touchstone of, of, of commitment. Well, I'm committed to non-commitment. I am committed to the state of awe and constant curiosity and so when i think about creativity i i think that it's purely the realm of fakery 
And uh, you don't even need to bring thievery into it because there is, you know, there's nothing new. You're all thieves. Right? <laughs> We're all thieves. You know, I mean, you may say, like, I made this chair, but you didn't invent chair, like the idea of sitting on something, you know, so it's like, oh, oh, I put this turn in it. Oh, I put these spindles on it. So it's, it's just a, it's a matter of interpretation, right? Whether or not we're, we're creative, it just depends on how much you've read and how many things you've seen. Uh, the more you see, the less creative you might feel because you realize that the, you know, the ether, the sort of the, the, the invisible strings that bind us all together might have informed your thinking in some inexplicable ephemeral way. And what you think you discovered was actually just somebody else's thrown away idea. In that respect, I have, I have a lot of suspicion toward all artists and all creative people. But that's not any reason necessarily to not bother. <laughs> there are lots of reasons to not bother. In fact, I'm, I'm plagued by the constant pressure of why bother uh, when it comes to every aspect of my existence. The multitude of reasons to not bother. I mean, it's everything because, you know, if there's something good on TV to, you know, I got to walk my dog and you're going to get much more certainty out of that. You know, uh, I'm much more likely to be absolutely certain that when I walk my dog, you know, he's going to experience a level of joy that I may or very likely won't find in building a chair. In fact, I'm guaranteed in building a chair to find incredible frustration and anger and volatility of spirit, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so, well, clearly, clearly, if you were peeing on the walk, like, like Max was, <laughs> yeah. you might have some of that joy and yeah. getting messages as well. Right. You know, it's the, it's the pee mail that is, it's so astonishing. You know, right. I was thinking, I was thinking about doggies earlier today and, you take them for a walk and there's so much for them. They're so excited about being out there. Yeah. There's so much to see. We have that same opportunity. If you open that door of curiosity and say, well, I don't know anything about this. I don't really know anything about the golden ratio. And I, you know, when I started my studies of it, I didn't, you know, it was okay. Yeah. It's the size of a credit card. All right. Big deal. So what? But when you start to investigate it, it's like that door in the library in Pacific Heights. It's like it opens. It opens to a much greater thing. And so it's everywhere. Back to your um, why bother? I'm I'm convinced that, and I'm I'm like you in in this regard. Well, we have switched over to the existentialist hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that life is meaningless on a you know a, a rock that's going to explode, and and we're messing it up. And how much worse could it get? Well, you know, we may see it in our lifetimes. That aside, okay, why get up to create? So uh, I, I met a gentleman at a party some months, a month ago this summer. And there's a movie out there called Why Man Creates. It was done in the 60s, a documentary by Saul Bass, I believe his, his name was. And it's, you know, it's quite visual and 20 minutes long and not a lot of ideas come out, a lot of visual ideas come out but there's not a lot of talking throughout it. But basically at the end of it, it is to say, I was here and mm. I made a mark, however transient, however unimportant, but this is my mark and no one else can have that mark. Only you can have that mark, Ali. Yeah, you may doubt it and you may think that it's 
worthless sometimes, and sometimes it may be. But other times, whether or not you agree with the audience who thinks it's brilliant, it, it can have real worth. That's the thing about art. That's the thing about creating stuff. I'll have people come up to me and say, you know, this, this book of yours, my book Handmade, uh, has affected me in a really deep personal way. And I'm like, wow, who knew? It's stunning the effect that we have, uh, certainly on younger people, uh, but on people in general. And, and I am convinced that by living a life as a craftsperson, I'm making a statement. It may just ricochet off all the stainless steel and concrete walls of the world, but some few people out there get affected by it. And they say, well, maybe I should dial back a little bit from my career. Maybe I should do some stuff for me and learn to create. Now, I think there is a way we can learn the vocabulary of design and that we can expand that to creativity at large, I think. So over the, over the next few months, we're going to talk about some of the things that I think are important. I refer to them as big ticket topics. Curiosity, of course, being one. Failure is a huge one. We'll talk with Mary Dawn Duckler about failures. She's a conceptual artist and a poet and a playwright. Um, we're going to talk with lots of different folks about these topics, but it happens to everyone. <laughs> anyway, we have a lot of topics. Oh, my list is long. Forgiveness, that's a big one. Quality, I think that's such an important one to, to talk about. Fear, practice, vocabulary, that's another big one. So there's, there are a lot of topics that we're going to get to and talk with working artists about them and get their take on it. And it will be different from my take. And, and Ali will bring in his questions. And we'll start off with Ali and I chatting about the topic and then meet with the artists, and have a conversation. And, and then Ali and I will try and sum things up and see what we've gleaned. One of the other things that uh, is interesting here in this dynamic is when I'm hearing you say these things about failure and, and, and vocabulary is the, is the two different perspectives of temperament that we each bring in. I think that the, the overall theme is, you know, a sense of like impostorship. Like that's, that's the thing, right? Like I feel like an imposter and I've been only doing this for like seriously for five years. But I think that was like, that's something I said to you. And you know, when I was in grad school, I was getting my PhD. I already had a couple of master's degrees and I was about a year into it and I was in this seminar, in this graduate seminar, and one of the professors comes in and she's talking to us and she said, took the veil of, of, of certainty or, or authority off all of our eyes and made us realize in that moment, like she said, oh yeah, none of us know what we're doing. We're all still faking it. And I looked around and I suddenly saw this relief on all the other grad student faces that like, oh, wait you guys haven't read all of these books either. Oh, you guys don't know who all of these names that people are banding about are either. Oh, you're writing them down to go look them up later. Oh, is that what you're doing right now? You're Wikipediaing a bunch of people just so you look like you're not a complete moron. Cause I thought I was the only one. <laughs> and I was like, why didn't this lady come give this lecture, you know, day one, <laughs> like when, you know, during like some sort of orientation, um, like, why did I go through like, you know, three quarters of just feeling like everything I'm doing is just a lie, you know, like I'm basically just plagiarizing and pretending to be something that I'm not. 
then eventually, like the further I went in school, like, you know, I eventually got my PhD and I started teaching and all that stuff. And I, I realized that that was just sort of this common thing. And it was really coming to acknowledge, like, you know, in the, you know, sort of the world of ideas and the life of the mind, to say that you're a neophyte might be a little bit too uh, arrogant. You know what I mean? It's like you are not, you know, you're barely a zygote. <laughs> it's just like you are nothing. You are truly you're like an idea that's not even born yet, you know? I think that that's that's this this notion of of creativity that is a is a real challenging thing, you know, that comes into like, you know, how do you confront that sense of being an imposter, of being inadequate, of um, not having anything worthwhile to exhibit or share? Oh, it's not good enough. It's how can it be good enough when you have you know, when you look at anything, you're like, well, you know, why, why write music? Because there was David Bowie and Beethoven, you know what I mean? Well, well, why paint? Because there was, you know, Van Gogh and, and you, know, uh, you know, Dali or, you know, whoever it is, you know, you, you know and we're like, you know, why, why make furniture? Because there was like, you know, Maloof was around already or Rogowski or Nakashima or whoever it was, you know what I mean? Like there's always somebody that you're like, oh, well, you know, they really inspired me, but did they inspire you to create or to just cower in the corner and wish you did and i guess like despite all of my anxieties and despite all of my sort of seemingly <laughs> negative and cynical appearing attitudes i think that the best regrets and the only regrets to have are the mistakes not the i wish i would have but like ah, i could have done it differently or ah, i should have done that better or uh oh, but at least I did, you know, that I didn't do it because I was too afraid. Well, uh, cowardice is its own, you know, sort of curse. Oh, yes. Yeah. Very much. Yes. I think the. Uh... That's why this show isn't called, you know, creativity, hustlers, bakers, thieves and cowards, because there is no there's cowardice. You know, cowards don't play in cowards. Cowards aren't listening to this program. And I, no, hope, I, mean, I, I hope they are. I hope they are. And then they're like, I oh, think, wait. I think they, I hope they will. Yeah. I hope that cowards do yeah. listen. You know, I mean, either you try or you don't, right? It's like, you know, Mr. Miyagi said, you know, either you do or you don't. You know? I swish like grape in the middle of the road, you know? So, well, there's, I have this sense of learning about any subject that it is very much the same that we struggle. We feel inadequate. We go and try our, our best to reproduce what the teacher has, has done and we fail. And then we turn around and try and teach somebody else. And we go, oh, wait a second. Okay, I understand this a little bit better. And, and we learn and it's a process. And it's, um, it can be a very long process. But with time and patience and forgiveness, yes. That's a tough one for me. And enough time at the bench. Yesterday, I was working on a project. I've got a little wedding present to make for someone. And it's a simple little thing. And I was just chopping out some joints by hand. It was quite satisfying. It's not fancy work. I was just at the bench and that felt good. And that sense of familiarity and comfort and knowledge in my hands helps get me through this world. And I hope that the people who are listening uh, will join us on this journey as we explore some of these topics with uh, various working artists. Our first chat's going to be with Deb Stoner, 
I don't even know how to describe her. She's so remarkable. Uh, she is a polymath. There you go. Look that word up. But it is um, remarkable, her, her CV. She started out as a metalsmith. She and I taught at the same school, and I took a pewter making class from her, and she was a jeweler and made jewelry and stuff, and then went on to eyeglass work. And now she's doing large-scale uh, photography. And we're going to talk about curiosity on our next podcast. So I hope you'll join us for that. Thanks very much for listening. This is Gary Rogowski for Ali Magdadi. Thank you, Ali. Hello. Thank you. It's been and great. We will see you next time on Creativity, Hustlers, Fakers, and Thieves. Which one are you?